Have you ever had a moment of just sheer and utter panic? I remember on my wedding day, about half an hour before I was due to leave the church, I needed a bathroom break. Now, anyone who has ever worn a big wedding dress, or for that matter, has ever played a part in a school play where you've needed a large costume, knows that you want to keep bathroom breaks to a minimum for the exact reason I'm about to tell you. Which is that when I went to the bathroom, I heard this sudden creak in the back of my dress and I realised that my zip had come away from the seam. Oh my goodness, total panic. I'm doomed, everything is ruined, all is lost. Have you had a moment like that? Did you forget to bring your passport along with you when you were going on holiday? Or did you press reply all to an email that you only meant to send to one person and you'd mentioned somebody else in the email chain? Or did you oversleep when you were supposed to be waking up for an exam and you pressed that snooze button we were talking about a few weeks ago too many times? Or did you, I don't know, wake up in the middle of the night and realise that you had a deadline for the next day that you'd completely forgotten about? We all have these moments of total and utter panic, don't we? I really like the way that the dictionary defines panic, not just as an uncontrollable and sudden fear, but it says an uncontrollable and sudden fear often causing wildly unthinking behaviour. In my house, we call that getting into a flap. You know, it's the reason why panic is really funny to watch somebody else do and horrible for us to experience, right? Because it just causes wildly unthinking behaviour. It gives us a totally inaccurate view of what's really going on. It makes us exaggerate. It makes us think about the worst case scenario. And that's why panic has never got you anywhere, has it? Pressing the panic button has never been a solution to any of the things that you've worried about, right? The thing is, our culture is experiencing a panic problem. As our anxiety levels rise as a culture, our threshold for panic is lowering. We're panicking way more often. Just think about 18 months ago when the COVID restrictions were first announced and all the panic buying that happened, you know, as if people needed 16 bags of pasta. Like, everybody seemed to have this inaccurate assessment of the situation that, oh, what if I can never have macaroni cheese again? And, you know, I must stock up. And ever since then, it seems like our culture and lots of people in our culture are just a few steps away from pushing the panic button. I read some research a few months ago about some of the things people were searching on Google as the pandemic began. And one of the findings of this research was that there was a massive uptake in people Googling, am I having a panic attack or symptoms of a panic attack? I can quite believe that research because that was one of my Google searches last year. In November 2020, I had a panic attack, seemingly out of nowhere. And since that happened, I've become quite interested in what causes them and why they happen. And I read that panic attacks occur when our levels of anxiety and stress are so building over time that eventually our brain kind of flips out and suddenly thinks we're in danger. Eventually, that's the only way our brain can assess the situation and it tells us that we need to go into fight or flight mode and evidently I'm not the only person who has experienced this over the last few months. Maybe you've experienced something similar. There are two things I learned from that experience. The first one is that the moment of panic is a bad time to deal with the things that are making you panic. 
because panic causes you to think completely inaccurately about the situation that you're in. I believed I was in danger when I wasn't. The moment of panic is a bad time for me to try to address the other things that I've been anxious about because all that's happening is that my brain is in overload. And by the way, if you're experiencing something similar regularly or your anxiety levels are getting too much, you should speak to somebody and you could maybe speak to a GP about that. Because when we're experiencing the symptoms of panic and anxiety, it's not a good time for us to be able to deal with some of the things that are going on underneath it. Because in the moment of panic and the moment of anxiety, we can't properly and accurately assess the situation that we're in. The second thing I learned is that you should never Google am I having a panic attack whilst having a panic attack? Because Google will very helpfully select first result, which will probably be something nice and soothing about it's okay, this is happens and just breathe. And the second result will be you might be dying. <laughs> so you should never Google, am I having a panic attack whilst having a panic attack? I think that's kind of the problem though. We live in this age where we have so much information at our fingertips. Straight away, I just Googled and I had all this information I listened to a podcast recently where they were talking about why anxiety is so high amongst teenagers. And the interesting point that they made is that statistically in the West, it's the safest time in history for you to be a teenager. But anxiety is at its highest point that it's ever been. Because we have access to all of this information all of the time, we experience way more than we actually live through. I'll give you an example that the podcaster used. He said he was on a flight flying over Hawaii and in Hawaii at the time there was an earthquake. Everybody's phone on the aeroplane pinged to say that they were in an earthquake. Obviously they weren't experiencing any tremors or anything, they were thousands of feet up in the air, but everybody started to panic that they were in an earthquake because they were experiencing something because their phone was telling them that it was happening. And we all nowadays experience more than we actually live through. We have experienced so much over the past 18 months just through our social media feeds that hasn't necessarily connected to things we've actually lived through. We have access to so much information all of the time and we don't quite know how to filter through it and how to make sense of it. It gives us an inaccurate assessment of the situation that we're in people believing that they're in an earthquake when they're thousands of feet up in the air. The interesting thing that this research showed was that the uptake in panic attacks wasn't related to people's fears about the illness. It always happened when guidelines changed or restrictions changed or there were new announcements on lockdown measures. It was the uncertainty and the misinformation and people's ambiguity about what they should do and how they should act that was causing this uptake in panic. When you've got the BBC News telling you something, Boris Johnson telling you something, Instagram telling you something, your friends telling you something, you can't find an ultimate authority that you can trust. And this is what's been happening over the past few months. We don't know who to look to anymore for an accurate assessment of the situation because there are just so many different people telling us, frankly, different things. And so who's the only person that we can look to if we can't find an ultimate source of authority that we can trust? Well, it has to be us. We have to be the ones to look at all the information and make a decision and, and try to accurately assess the situation. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of pressure on me. That was a lot of pressure 
to try to figure out what's the right thing to do, what's the right thing to believe, and what should I do next? And we're not always qualified to make those decisions, are we? We're not always qualified to give an accurate assessment of the situations that we find ourselves in. It's why, in moments of crisis, we rely on authority figures we can trust. Like, if your plane is experiencing extreme turbulence, you listen to the captain. If you're experiencing severe illness, you pay attention to your doctor. But in that season of crisis, we lost the sense of an ultimate authority figure that we could trust, and it caused us to panic. That's why we're panicking. But I think it's also the thing that gives us a clear path to stopping. There's a famous figure in Christian history who became a leader of many of the earliest groups of followers of Jesus. If you go anywhere in the world that's been touched by Christianity, you will see his name on loads of churches. You will see young men and young boys who have been named after him. But before any of that, he was an anxious fisherman called Simon. The reason you may not have heard of Simon is because eventually he was renamed Peter, the rock. And we're gonna to learn today how Simon went from being an anxious and panicked fisherman to being the rock. And it's gonna help you and I go from pushing the panicked button to being rock solid. Simon lived in the first century in what we would know today as Israel-Palestine. He was a fisherman who was invited to come and follow Jesus, learning to be part of his kingdom and his mission in the world. We catch up with Simon's story in Matthew 14. Simon and a bunch of guys have gone out onto the lake, leaving Jesus behind because Jesus has got some other stuff to take care of, evidently. So Simon and a bunch of guys have rowed out onto the lake late in the night. And whilst they're out in the middle of the lake, the weather picks up, the storms begin to rise, and they find themselves in trouble, even though many of them have been fishermen and spent a lot of time out on the lake. Then Matthew records a funny thing. <laughs> he says, Jesus came out to them, walking on the water. Of course, the guys on the boat react in probably the only sensible way. It's late at night, they're out on a boat in the middle of the lake, and this guy's coming towards them with no boat, apparently walking on the water. And they all cry out, it's a ghost. They freak out, they panic. That's their only assessment that they can make of the situation. But Jesus calls out to them, do not be afraid, take courage, I am here. But the guys kind of need to double check. So Simon says, Lord, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, yes, come. So Simon, I imagine fairly gingerly, gets out of the boat and stands on the water and begins to walk towards Jesus. But as he does, it says he looks at the wind and the waves and suddenly he starts to panic. He makes an assessment of the situation. He defers to his judgment on the situation. I know wind and I know waves and I know water and I know I don't have a boat right now. So the only situation can be that I'm drowning. And he panics and he screams out, I'm drowning. Just the way that you and I may have done when we've panicked, gone to the worst possible scenario. And then he's probably asking himself, how am I gonna get myself out of this? And as a last attempt to save himself, he calls out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Matthew 14, verse 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed 
Simon by the hand and pulled him up. And then Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Here's what Jesus is asking. Simon, you were walking on water. It, last time I checked, that's impossible. <laughs> so if you're walking on water, the wind and the waves are not the most powerful thing in front of you. But Simon had looked at the situation and assessed it and he'd assessed it inaccurately. He was walking on water. Someone more powerful than the wind and the waves must have been with him. Jesus says, why did you doubt me? Simon and Jesus get back into the boat. Simon, I imagine, takes himself off to lie down in a dark room and recover from what he's just experienced. And the rest of the disciples, it says, kneel down on the floor of the boat and worship Jesus because of what they've just witnessed. Not only Simon walking on water, but Jesus walking on water and pulling Simon out of the water. And they make the only conclusion that they can draw. Surely you are the son of God because they've just seen somebody walk on water. And if you're walking on water, the wind and the waves are not the most powerful thing in front of you. Jesus must have been. A few days later, we catch up with Simon and he's with a few guys and Jesus. And Jesus wants to get this point home to Simon. And he asks Simon, Simon, who do you say that I am? And maybe Simon has had some time to reflect on all that happened that night on the boat in the water. Maybe he's had some time to think of Jesus saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? And now Simon has come to his conclusion about who Jesus is. And so he answers, Lord, you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus says, you've got it, that's it. And from now on, I will call you Peter, Petros, the rock. And on this rock, I am going to build my church. We talked earlier about the fact that we find it hard nowadays to find a ultimate source of authority in whom we can put our trust. With all this information and all that we experience and all that we see, we don't know where to look and we can't figure it out by ourselves. And Simon had realized, I can't figure this out my, by myself. I looked at the wind and the waves and I thought I was drowning when really Jesus was in front of me helping me walk on water. And he realizes now I need to make him my ultimate source of authority in whom I'll put my trust in all matters of life and death. He had realized that Jesus could be trusted more than he could even trust himself. And it was cemented for him when he watched Jesus go through a trial and execution and three days later, walk out of an empty tomb. And Simon, Peter, Petros became the rock. And he never pushed the panic button again. Several decades later, and Peter has now started up and is leading many groups of followers of Jesus. And he writes a letter to a group of Jesus followers who are being persecuted for their faith and are starting to panic. And he kind of gives this advice, which I think sounds like the advice of a recovering panic button pusher. And I think it will help you and I. And he says to them, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that at the proper time he might lift you up. And I imagine that as Peter writes this, he is remembering that mighty hand reaching out into the water and pulling him up out of the waves. He says, humble yourselves under God's 
mighty hand. In other words, don't look to your own authority. Trust in God's authority for your life. Don't just look to yourself to figure it all out. Now, I know words like authority and humble yourself and um, mighty hand are, are not popular uh, ways of talking in our culture, but you know what is popular is anxiety and panic and maybe that's not working and maybe what's popular doesn't always work and actually the promise that Peter says to these people is that if you humble yourself under God's mighty hand he will lift you up at the proper time you won't have to lift yourself up you won't have to figure it all out and then he says cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you because he cares for you I think a lot of us read something like that and, and Christians will often say phrases like, you know, give your worries to God, but without doing the humble yourself under God's mighty hand bit. So what we try to do is figure life out all by ourselves, continue to trust our own authority on all matters of life and death and go through life trying to make it by ourselves. And then when the panic rises, we call out to God like Peter did in the waves, Lord, save me. And he does, you know, he does reach out a hand and save us in those moments but if you want to be a rock if you want to remove panic's influence from your thoughts and from your life make him the one who gives you an accurate assessment of your situation not google or instagram or boris johnson or bbc news or your own interpretation but trust that he has love and knowledge and power and care that far surpasses you and that he can be the ultimate authority in your life. When we humble ourselves under who God is and what he wants for our lives, he will lift us up at the proper time. Let me give you a practice that I'm trying to adopt when I need an accurate assessment of the situation, when I need an accurate assessment of the day ahead, when I'm feeling like my anxiety levels are starting to rise. I simply say this, God is on the throne not me. God is on the throne. He is willing and able to help in times of need. He is greater than all of my fears and he cares for me. Let me say that again. God is on the throne. He is willing and able to help in times of need. He is greater and stronger than all of my fears and he cares for you. Anything you believe that does not factor that into the equation is not an accurate assessment of your situation. If you would position yourself, and if I could position myself to live under that, then we would be in the most secure position in the universe. And we would become like rocks, solid as rocks in a world that keeps on pressing panic.